Welcome to the latest Spotlight on IRT podcast, where our experts talk about best practices in the field of clinical development and innovations to improve today's clinical trials. This podcast is brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies, the leader in interactive response technology. For more information, visit www.almacgroup.com. And now, here's your host, Matt Lowry. Greetings. Welcome to the Spotlight on IRT podcast. I'm Matt Lowry, and I'm going to let you know today's topic still puts people on edge. Today, we're going to be talking about regulatory inspections, specifically preparing and making sure you have everything in order. The role of IRT is constantly changing. As little as five years ago, the typical question that I received would be, is your IRT validated? We'd provide a certificate and move along. That's moved in a completely different direction. It's evolved. Last year, I personally supported 114 regulatory inspections for our clients. We had our own inspections and we saw an increased effort and focus on what the IRT does, how it does it, and that ever important question, how are you maintaining oversight? We get a lot of questions from our clients about how and what they should do for the IRT when they are preparing for a regulatory inspection and even more during the inspection. This is generally a large undertaking. So I decided to ask some colleagues. I made a call to the Advara Consulting Group. I've worked with Ellen Lytle Sargent and Kathy Kelly in the past from Advara on various projects, and they are always prepared with their work. Most importantly, I trust them to get an honest answer. Ellen, Kathy, welcome to the Spotlight on IRT podcast. We wanted to start off with just the overall idea of prepping for a regulatory inspection. And I guess the first question really becomes, what's been your experience with IRT in regards to GCP inspections? Well, there certainly have been FDA inspections in the U.S., but companies need to keep in mind also that the EMA and the MHRA also have come to the U.S. and have been part of IRT company inspections. So it's critical to ensure that you're preparing for the right regulatory agency that comes to inspect you. Both the MHRA and the EMA are more have a more critical focus on systems, whereas the FDA traditionally has focused on data and documentation. Overall, there's been a lot more scrutiny on all the regulatory agencies on critical systems and validation of those systems. When preparing for an inspection, it's best to prepare for the most stringent regulatory body that might possibly inspect you, and then that way you'll know that you'll be prepared. Great. So when we start talking about preparing for an inspection, one of the first things that my brain tends to go to is contracts. And what would you recommend contractually for IRT, between IRT and clients? Uh, should there be any specifics or anything in there about regulatory inspections overall? Contracts should stipulate that if there is an inspection involving a client study, the vendor, the IRT company, must notify the client immediately of the inspection. The contract should also stipulate that if there are any findings related to their study, they must report those findings to the client. Keep in mind that although the FDA does not routinely review vendor contracts during inspections, but rather they focus on the transfer of obligations, 
the EMA and the MHRA will review the entire contract to ensure it's complete and to verify that the vendor documentation matches what is outlined in the contract. So going back to that, should a client put into their contracts that they're made aware of any inspection at a vendor or just the inspections that are pertinent to their studies? I think it's always wise for a client to put into their contract that they should be made aware of any inspection because, as we know, inspections can expand. So a regulatory body can come in and decide that they are going to review one study and during the course of their inspection can expand that to multiple studies. You don't want to have your sponsor or your client caught off guard. So it's always good to give them a heads up initially and then let them know if, if the inspection turns to your study, we will let you know immediately. And should those contracts also specify where documents are held or maintained? Absolutely. The contract should specify where documents are being held during and after the study and for how long. As requirements for documentation retention may vary slightly on what regulatory authority the data is being submitted to, it's best to maintain this in the contract. For example, the typical ICH requirement states that documents should be retained for at least two years after the last approval of a marketing application in an ICH region and until there is no pending or contemplated marketing applications. But then, if you go to the European Directive, uh, 2005-28EC, that states that any transfer of ownership of the data or of the documents shall be documented and that the new owner shall assume responsibility for data retention and archiving according to the Article 17. So vendors at that point may say or feel that, oh, once I transfer the data back to the sponsor, we're no longer obligated to retain any documentation. However, if you go to the FDA regulations in 21 CFR 312.57, under their record keeping, it states that a sponsor shall retain records and reports required by this part for two years after the marketing application is approved for the drug or if an op marketing application is not approved for the drug until two years after shipment and delivery of the drug for investigational use is discontinued and the FDA has been notified. So this could lead to a lot of confusion. So my recommendation is so just to avoid all the confusion, it's best to stake very clearly in the contract how long records need to be retained and usually it states that the sponsor will also notify you when you can destroy the records. So should that then feed into kind of the idea that that contract's going to indicate not only what's there and how long, but the substance to it? Yes, it should. Um, things that should be clearly spilled out in the contract. So things that might be in there, but not inclusively, could include transfer obligation. Um, this is, could be part of the contract or it might be a separate document. There have been times when sponsors have been transferred the task to an IRT vendor who might be knowledgeable about um, data protection legislation but not necessarily GCP regulations and quality systems. Some examples of issues that have been noted in this area include missing contracts or only draft contracts in place when delegated tasks have already been initiated 
or contracts have not been maintained or updated, or possibly details concerning the retention of documents or sponsor access to non-trial specific documents, including but not limited to software or system validation documents, vendor SOPs, training documentation, uh, issue logs, resolutions in the help desk, IT ticket systems, or how about uh, location of data storage, um, controls of data. Examples of that might be use of the cloud. Um, other issues could be clear documentation of subcontractors by the vendor is not always defined, including how the sponsor maintained oversight of contracted activities. Other documentation could be documentation of standards to be followed. It's unclear or not documented which standards the vendor will conduct its delegated sponsor's task. For example, are you following the current legislation? Are you following ICHGCP? Which standards are you following? Or some vendors are more focused on data protection legislation than they are following GCP, which is reflected in the standard contract. Also, there are some issues with audits and inspection. It's sometimes not stated that the sponsor should have access to the conducted audits at the vendor, and that the vendor site could be subject to inspection and will allow these inspections without the sponsor knowing about them. Or there might be serious breaches. Another example of issues that are noted in this area is the reporting of serious breach is frequently not specified in the contract that the vendor should report potential serious breaches to the sponsor. The sponsor is responsible for the assessment and onward reporting of serious breach. They have reporting timelines for such and they need to report these and sometimes this is missing in the contract. And one thing I would like to add to that too is that it's very clear that the language states serious breach. Sometimes people will call them issues, sometimes they'll put it in their issue ex escalation, but if you're dealing with the MHRA in particular, they want to see that exact language where you address serious breach. So you need to keep that in mind with your contracts too, uh, depending on what regulatory agency might inspect you. All good stuff. So when we start talking about the inspection, what are some of the topic areas that you've kind of seen come across in the inspection? What are they, they looking at? Is it, I know we said the FDA is focused uh, really on the, the documentation. The MHRA wants to get into the system and look at the data. What are, what are the areas, though, that sh our listeners should be really concerned about? Well, as an IRT vendor, they should be very, very concerned about their electronic systems. Uh, there is more heightened scrutiny around these areas, particularly if that um, system is used for any critical functions of the clinical study. Um, these systems need to be fully value, uh, validated, and there has to be very definitive documentation of what services these systems provide and measures in place to ensure that there is subject safety. Areas of focus for inspections, uh, one of the biggest now coming up is data privacy because there's all kinds of new data privacy laws in the EU. Um, data security to make sure data is secure. You know, what kind of firewalls are in there? How do you prevent hackers from coming in? 
And then there's data outputs. So for some of the findings that have occurred within the data output area, it is information is missing about agreed output during and after the trial, or output in some cases has not been provided to the sponsor, and this includes the metadata, uh, specific types of queries, audit trails, history and status of changes to users and user access, and description of the format for the delivery of the complete database to the sponsors. Those are the kind of things that they dwell on. Also, um, in this area, they also dwell on the arrangements about decommissioning the database because they're not always clear, and that's an area that often gets overlooked. So you have to make sure that the ability to restore the functionality is in place should it be lost, and the inspectors are going to want to know all around that how you not only got it up and running and validated it, but how you can decommission it. Some of these have resulted in differences in how the system can be inspected and should it have occurred during a live phase of the clinical uh, trial compared to when the data is ended. So often, you know, once the data is locked, it's locked and it's very difficult sometimes for sponsors to get access to it. But then you have to be very careful during live data who you're given access to, even during an inspection, because you want to take precautions that the inspector can't accidentally manipulate the data, um, not meaning to, but just by accident. Um, another area is access being provided during, uh, including the qualification of those who are at the site and delegated activities, you know, who is blinded, who can be unblinded, and make sure that those roles don't cross each other. You have to have control of investigational product where the IRT system controls this and the mechanisms in place to ensure the site has adequate supplies. Um, and an emergency unblinding process, they will focus on that. Um, standard would be disaster recovery systems that they look at to make sure that you have an interrupted server or if something, there was a breakdown that may cause um, um, data to be halted or, un, you know, people unable to call into the system. Uh, they definitely look at audit trails. Audit trails is a big focus. They want to see all the audit trails behind any data that was changed. Product recall process, they would want to review on that. Um, currency of the data that you have, the system should be updated in real time and they want to see that you have current information in the system. Uh, the system should also include dates after which shipments should not be made from the manufacturer or the warehouse to the investigator. So you want to make sure those stop dates that are in there, not only for um, when that investigator shuts down, but when the whole trial shuts down. And then they're going to look at considerations that you have in place for the time it takes to shipments to get to the different countries and the different sites. They're going to look at the time frames around that to make sure that you can resupply the sites in an appropriate time frame. Uh, obviously, they're going to look at certificates of analysis, if that's part of what you're uh, providing, and assignment confirmations to the site personnels that are using either an electronic or paper format. So are they if it's electronic, are they required to print them out? Is everything going to stay electronic? And what's, what gets saved electronically and what's going to be saved paper-wise? So I guess a follow-up question I have on that then is you, you talked a lot about having these different documents available and this different data available overall. Um, 
you know, they use the term TMF a lot. We use the term validation deliverables. And one that I think sometimes gets left to the side is essential documents. Those essential documents that are needed to recreate the trial. What essential documents would, would you kind of recommend to the sponsors, the clients, or the sites that they have available and ready to go when you have an inspection? Because the inspectors are going to expect things pretty quickly. So, um, Kathy, you know, any, any inputs on that? Um, we have a great reference, and that's ICH um, E6R2 Section 8. Um, it really um, has um, a, a lot of data in there for you to fall back on. But it also depends on what obligations that were transferred to the IRT vendor. Some expected documents would include, but are not limited to, um, for the sponsor and the client or the vendor might be a list of all systems that were used for the study, project plans, specification documents, um, documentation of testing and validation, uh, user acceptance testing documents, your change control documentation. That includes all your sponsor sign-offs for those, um, all of your change control, your user management, your training documentation. That includes a lot of different things. That includes your training on the systems. That also includes your training at SOP level. Um, it includes uh, training for the sponsor uh, on the system as well. Then you have your randomization schema and how uh, and all your associated documents for that. Then you have your emergency unblinding procedures, your site activation and management documentation, instruction and user guides. You should have a list of essential staff members that worked on the project with start and stop dates. You should also have a list of SOPs utilized for the system with versions used. You should also have investigational project management documents such as activation, study management, shipment activation, emergency unblinding, anything to do with an, if there was damaged IP or missing IP at the site, and also any transfer, data transfer documentation if there are specifications or um, any um, import and export documentation. And that's all at the client and sponsor level. Yes. What about the site level? There should be, again, training documentation um, at the site for the system. Then you have your user manuals. You might also have a list of staff that received access and training. And that should have start and stop dates because we know at the site there can be a lot of changes at the site. There also should be documentation for each study subject in regard to the screening and randomization of that subject and or investigational product assignment. You should also have documentation around investigational product management. For example, the receipt of that product, the ordering, maybe there might be temperature excursions, there might be returns of that product if applicable, if there's any rescreening documentation. There's a whole lot of, of documentation. One thing I heard kind of come back around a couple times is training. And I can tell you that, you know, every audit that I've ever been in, training records are always checked. I, I think it's uh, about a 99.999% rate of training records being checked. And we see it a lot. Have you seen through your experiences training on an IRT be called into question during an inspection? The biggest problem that we see is the lack of training documentation. That's the biggest issue that we see. 
what have you seen from the inspectors is kind of being an acceptable level? Is it slides at an investigator meeting that say, hey, here's the IRT, here's how it's used? Or do you see that the inspectors are looking for more? They're actually looking for the PI or the site users to actually use the system to be trained on it? I think it's a combination of both. I think it's it's acceptable to have the training documentation at the investigator meeting or in the initiation, the site initiation. And usually if there's some slides that's saved, there's some information given to the, the site, like a user manual. But more than that, you know, the hard part and the one of the areas where they find uh, issues with, um, particularly around the principal investigator is, if that person is granted access and they never use the system, that's going to be an issue because in their mind, how are you providing oversight as a PI if you never access the system? Um, so it's those type of things, not only just the training and the documentation of the training, but the use of the system. Because it's one thing to be on, trained on the system, but if you never use it, then that training really means nothing. And I think that sites need to get more in tune with the whole process and not just this, you know, I, I can access it, I was trained, here I have a piece of paper that says I was trained. So we've, we've talked about the, the documentation and the training and let's get into the data. Okay. How do you recommend that IRT data is prepped or presented for an inspection? Well, first of all, data should never be altered. That's something we really want to stress. Um, for documentation, both for the sites and the vendor, it should always be inspection ready at all times. All documents should always be QC'd during and after the study to ensure completeness of the records. Documentation and documents should be reviewed prior to the inspection to ensure they are complete and we suggest that clients have their contracts, project plans, requirement documentations, UAT documents ready for deliverables. On the data side, there should be extracts from the IRT web reports or data relating to visits, randomizations ready for inspectors to review ahead of time. And the one thing I just want to add to that too is that on a site level, um, the PI has to be demonstrated as being in control of the data on the site level. So there should be no changes on a site level of any data that the PI hasn't authorized. So the, the good old days of self-evident corrections that we're all so accustomed to uh, using are no longer allowable. Um, you really need to make regular data queries and have the PI sign off on those queries and have the PI in charge of changing of any data at the site. I know this puts some additional burden on uh, both the IRT vendors and, and any of the data vendors, but that's what the regulatory agencies are focused on these days. So when it comes to that inspection, we have the documentation prepped and we have the data ready to go in those extracts and we've been able to put all this together. What level of involvement would you expect then during the inspection from an IRT provider? Would you expect the IRT provider to be present or to be contributing or to be there in a supportive function? I think that would really depend on what were the services that the IRT provider were providing. 
Uh, the more critical services, obviously their data and their processes are going to become come under more scrutiny during the inspection. To me, it is always wise that the sponsor, when they know that inspections are going to happen on their study, that they do notify all their vendors and all their vendors are ready um, because they, you never know when a question is going to come up. I do think that if you are notified that your study that you worked on from the sponsor is going to be inspected, I do think that there should be a process in place within all the vendors that they get ready, they go through their data, and they do some inspection prep so that if any questions come up, they're prepared and they have them ready. It totally makes sense to have the vendors all prepped. Mm -hmm. um, as a sponsor coming in, though, when you're auditing an IRT vendor, what do you think the sponsor should be focusing on in those areas of importance? And I'm going to speak from personal experience. You know, we've seen everything from, well, the door's not fireproof on the meeting rooms to how many times has the building been hit by lightning. So, you know, you get those eyeballs. What's important when you're looking at an IRT vendor? That's a really good question, Matt, because there are, there's a long list. There really is, as you know. Um, I think that the way that we break it down as auditors is that we start first with a quality management system. We start to look at um, look at your SOP management. Um, we start to look at what is your issue escalation and CAPA process. We look at your vendor selection process, your document management system, your auditing process, and your quality control. That's all within your quality management system. Then we look at your, your training. We start to look at your general company training, and that includes GCP training. We look at CVs and job descriptions. We look to make sure that you have the right people on, on those projects. Um, we look at project-specific training um, and that everyone was trained specifically and who was on the project, who was off the project, and were they trained appropriately. Then we look at information technology. We look at the computer systems. We look at security. We look at business continuity and recovery processes. We look to see um, if you have a data center here. We look, um, if you don't, then we look to see a little bit further than that. We look to see um, where is your data center. We look to see who you qualify as your data center. Um, we look at all those different processes. Um, we make sure that um, it is a qualified data center. Um, that's an extremely big process. Then we move on to project management. Um, we look at all the different pieces of what your SOPs say should be in project management. The project plans, the communication plans, and are you following them? We're not just looking to see do you have them. We want to make sure that you're following them. If this is what your project plan and your SOPs say, we want to make sure did you follow it throughout. You know, it's just not a matter of saying here I did here I, I filled out this piece of paper, but did I follow what it said I was supposed to do throughout the course of this entire study? Um, then I want to make sure that through the communication plan, what was the escalation process? Did you follow if there was something that needed to be escalated? Did you follow it appropriately? Or then I want to take a look at your sponsor um, team meeting and minutes and, and status, all those different pieces throughout. I might actually look at and ask you for um, some evidence. Did you follow the plan? I might ask you for, let me have the last three um, months worth of meeting minutes and an agenda uh, and look at some action items and did you follow up on your action items? 
Then I'm going to start looking at some very, very specifics into your system, what the system was. Um, I'm going to start getting into design control and system development and validation. I'm going to start looking at your SDLC. And I'm going to go back again to your SOP. I'm going to say, what did your SOP say and did you follow your uh, SDLC? I'm going to start looking at um, a review of the system for testing, for tracking, for is issues and resolution. I'm just going to start looking at your user acceptance. Was it, did your SOP say that the sponsor had to do user acceptance testing? Did they then do it? Or did you have a waiver? Did they have to, um, were they allowed to write the waiver for that? And did you get the waiver for it? Um, then I'm going to review all your validation documentation, including all of the plans. Um, I might look at some of your executed strips, um, your summary report, your traceability matrices. I'm going to really follow through um, with different pieces of that. I'm going to really dive down because, you know, it depends on what agency is going to come to inspect you. You know, if it's, if it's, if it's the FDA, you know, they may not dive as deep, but if it's MHRA, they're going to really, really dive deep, and they're going to go all the way down to those traceability matrices and want to know what happened here and follow it all the way through. I'm going to look at what was your system versioning. Did you really follow through if there was a change? I want to make sure that your change documents really follow the process. Did you follow through with um, this needed to be changed? Do I have all of the change management that you were supposed to have? If the sponsor wanted you to change here, did you follow all the processes? Was it signed off on? Do you have all the documents? I'm definitely going to look for anything for 21 CFR um, Part 11 compliance statements. I want to make sure that they're all compliant. I'm going to look for data integrity. I want to make sure that I'm going to look at the different pieces in the product. I want to make sure that I look at the different pieces of the component, make sure that there are, I can look at the reports. And if I'm an unblinded um, auditor, I will ask for reports and I may do some comparison between a randomization schema versus a drug assignment. So there definitely I'll be looking at, at um, data integrity there. Um, and I'll definitely be looking at audit trails. I want to see, I'll ask you to print out um, audit trails and look at those for different time points throughout the study. And through the data management process, I'm going to look at data transfers. I'm going to look at different pieces of that. If there was a CTMS um, involved with this, I'm going to look to see uh, import and export um, with that as well. Uh, I'm going to look at the study closure and the study archiving process. And then if the study, um, I want to make sure that uh, if the study was used for tracking expiry dates, of the investigational product, that all the documentation around this was made available, including uh, the instructions if you had to relabel the product. I want to make sure that all those instructions were in place as well. So as you can tell, Matt, it's a very, very long list, but these are the processes that I'm really going to be looking at if I'm the inspector. And that's going to help demonstrate your, your oversight of the trial. Absolutely. So. Here's kind of where I, I lead this question to then is IRT companies in particular come in all, all varieties, right? You have your, your larger companies, you have your smaller companies. When you're a sponsor or you're getting ready for an inspection, 
How would you suggest a smaller company who may not have the experts or proficiency with that type of thing as a sponsor? A small sponsor, we're talking some of these small biotechs that are more mm-hmm. of a virtual company. How would you recommend they handle the prep for an inspection, especially considering IRT? Is it wiser for them to, to actually look to someone with that more expertise or to off offload that, or how would you recommend? Well, I think it's definitely to the smaller company's best interest if they don't have expertise in that area to partner with their IRT company, particularly if the IRT company has been around for a while and has gone through regulatory inspections. Um, you want to glean as much knowledge from them as possible and find out where their risk areas might be. So the best thing to do then, and if you're the IRT company, you could offer those services. Say, um, I know that you don't have a lot of resources. You're a small virtual company. Let's come up with a strategy for your inspection, and and we want to be part of that inspection strategy. Um, I would also make sure that all the IRT documentation is available and determined with that company whether or not it's going to be available at the company or they're going to defer the inspectors to the IRT company and access, you know, will be remote or are you going to have somebody from the IRT company there and then they can do over-the-shoulder access for the data if they want to look at the data. All that should be planned out ahead of time. Um, And then, you know, if you are a company who has, an IRT company who has had experience, you need to think ahead about what questions and answers might the inspector have, and then who is the best person to answer that. And the sponsor company may defer that to somebody from the IRT company, and then that person should be prepared and be rehearsed in order to interact with the inspector so that everybody's on the same page and the story is all the same. So we get into this idea then that we've, we've gotten the contract set. We've done our due diligence. We have the documentation ready to go. We have the extracts of the web report for the data analysis. When the inspector is in the, when they're in the inspection and they have an issue with the IRT, um, the usage, whether it's things not matching, or it is the discrepancies between IRT and EDC, something that that happens if it's missing the information, whether that's patient info or what it might not be. What is a good course of action to take then for a client or a site having this inspection? Well, you're right, Matt. Um, A lot of the issues that come up are the discrepancies between the IRT documentation and the other records, like the EDC, for example, um, around the drug or, or, you know, even randomization. Um, Or the IRT is missing information, like the patient information, the kit assignments, or things just don't match. The best course of action, first of all, is to let the sponsor be aware of any issues that you have identified and any mismatch of information. And then you need to make sure that you ensure you have clarification on what the issue is. If the inspector is going to the sponsor with the information and the sponsor is coming to you saying, we have an inspection going on, this is what they're finding, can you give me an answer? You need to make sure you're very clear on what the issue is that the inspector actually is focusing on because you don't want to give the wrong answer. So that's uh, that's very important to understand what exactly what the issue is. 
then you do your investigation to find out if it's missing information and you can retrieve that missing information then that could prevent the sponsor from getting a finding so anything that you can resolve I would resolve immediately I would answer all the questions that the inspector has honestly and not provide any information that you don't fully understand or have readily available half information is not going to satisfy the inspector um, you also want to make sure that if there was a mistake that was made or something was missing and it can't be fixed, you want to be very honest. You want to be very upfront with the inspectors and with your sponsors and say, yes, this is an issue. We didn't realize it. And then come up with what your action plan is going to be to correct it. The things that get companies in trouble with inspections is not so much that things are wrong because people are human and these studies run over a long period of time and mistakes are made. What the inspectors really do focus on is once you identified an issue, how quickly do you address it? What is your corrective action? And is your corrective action going to just take care of this particular issue or are you implementing a corrective action that's going to go across future studies so that it doesn't happen again. And then, you know, part of the corrective, preventive, whatever you want to want to call it, they just want to make sure whatever you're doing is going to ensure that this particular issue won't happen again. And that's the thing that the inspectors are more focusing on, not that a mistake was made, is how you address that mistake. So when you do have an issue, right, in, in we're now looking at the findings. If there's issues or findings against the IRT and the usage of the IRT that happened during the inspection, should the sponsor reach out to the IRT to be consulted on crafting that response, or should it be a, we will follow up with the IRT vendor and address in the future? Um, we would hope so. We would hope that the IRT would be part of um, the corrective action plan. Um, the IRT really knows what happened um, the IRT vendor really has um, the data, has um, the information. Um, the sponsor really should be out reaching out to the vendor um, and getting that information and be working in tandem with the IRT uh, vendor. So that's really would be our recommendation is to work in tandem. The sponsor should be working with the IRT vendor to craft that CAPA. The other thing too, and this could be something that could be put into the contract, just as the sponsor, you know, the sponsor should be made aware of if an IRT vendor is being inspected, I think that you could also put language in the contract that says the IRT vendor needs to be aware of if this study is being audit, uh, inspected from a sponsor point of view so that you also can be prepared and be part of that. So that's language that can also be added into the contract. Thanks. One of the questions that I really like to ask is, what are the biggest pitfalls you see when a company preps for an inspection overall? I think both of us are in agreement. The biggest pitfall we see is that there's never enough resources put on to get ready for the inspection. Um, and that sometimes the lack of timing, you know, there's not enough time put to it. Now, a lot of inspections, the inspectors will give you notification. It's often a week or two weeks notification, unless it's a for cause and then they just show up. But you usually have time to prepare. But a week or two weeks 
may not be enough depending on the issues that have come up. And that's why I'm saying that you really have to have all hands on deck, get your resources in order, go through all your data, have everyone prepared. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we find is that people try to cram it in at the last minute because these inspections are happening in the middle of every day-to-day -day business and it's hard to, to pull people off that in order to get ready for an inspection. Of course, everybody will say you should be inspection ready at all time and your data should be perfect at all times, so it shouldn't be an issue and you shouldn't have to spend a lot of time preparing, but we all know that's not the reality of it. And I'm sure from a business standpoint, it doesn't make sense to leave someone in the corner like a fire extinguisher where you break the glass <laughs> if you need them for an inspection, but otherwise we're just going to leave them in a locker. Yeah. Um, what about from the IRT, you know, specifically around IRT? What are some of the pitfalls you've seen there? Is it similar? Um, yes, it's very similar. It's almost, it's almost identical. Again, it's the same thing, that not enough time is being devoted to getting ready for an inspection. That, as Ellen said, you should always be inspection ready. The documents should be inspection ready. But sometimes maybe the documentation is in boxes. Maybe the documentation is difficult to locate. Maybe it's not easy to retrieve. Maybe it's been put to a disk because it's really, really old and maybe somebody forgot the password to that disk. Or um, somebody forgot to verify that it's complete on that disk when they archived it. Uh, and now we find out, oh, it's incomplete and we don't have the entire study. And now we're, having, we're scrambling to find out where it is backed up. Where is, where is it backed up to? So there, there are definitely some pitfalls for the IRT that we're, we're finding that you don't have everything that you need. Uh, for the inspection because you waited too long. And again, it's that you didn't put enough resources to it to get ready. And then also might be because the sponsor did not let you know soon enough that there is an inspection or it's because very rarely does do the inspectors come directly to an IRT vendor. Usually it's in tandem with the, um, with the sponsor. So uh, it really needs to have good communication with you and your sponsor. And I would have the IRT companies really pay attention, particularly if it could be in, in any kind of EU inspection, whether it's EMA or MHRA. Really, like, this is where you pull out your references for double check. Pull out Annex 11, make sure that you're in compliance with that for whatever applies, you know, the services that you provided. Um, we had come across some really good references when we were preparing for this. EMA has a really nice Q&A on good clinical practice. Uh, we recommend looking at that. Um, and there is also an EMA reflection paper on the use of interactive response technologies that is, has some good information in it. So look at whatever inspection body is coming, go on to their regulatory websites. They all have, this is what we're going to look at in inspection in one way or another. And, you know, FDA has the BIMO guidelines, but definitely go through them and do, you know, a checklist going through. Okay, we check this, we're all right. Go down to the next one so that you're fully prepared when the inspector comes. Awesome. Well, thank you both very much. I want to thank Ellen and Kathy for the time today. I really feel this conversation has been eye-opening to say the least. At the end of the day, the biggest things we really need to remember about preparing for an inspection 
are to make sure roles and responsibilities are clearly indicated through contractual documentation and through operational documentation. The other big ticket item that Kathy brought up was to make sure you have support. This goes for the whole trial and should really include making sure you are supported by your vendors. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Matt Lowry, and this is the Spotlight on IRT Podcast. You've been listening to the Spotlight on IRT Podcast, brought to you by Almac Clinical Technologies. If you have a question for our host or would like to suggest a topic for our next podcast, please visit our podcast page on Almac Clinical University at university.almacgroup.com.